Welcome back, guys and gals, to our little cozy corner of cyberspace called the Northern Miner Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Keevil, and we are one week away from PDAC. That is right. Uh, I've had a few uh, compatriots hop planes already uh, to head out to Toronto, uh, prepping up for the uh, big Prospects and Developers Conference starting on March 5th, running through the 8th. Uh, So that is next week. So uh, our Toronto office will be busy. We have a beautiful 44-page mega issue for the PDAC uh, that is set to hit the printers, and it is loaded with good stuff. So do stop by our booth over at the conference and pick up an edition if you have an opportunity. Uh, And and some of the stuff we'll be dealing with this week in the podcast is sort of a, a pre uh, preamble, if you will, uh, to some stuff in the PDAC issue. Uh, this week, Leslie in the Geology Corner, we will once again uh, be digging into some uh, some tips for investors. This time, we're rolling it back. Uh, previously, everybody, we're not rolling our share structure back. We're rolling back the topic to a, an earlier stage of exploration product. Uh, and what I mean when I say that is previously we'd done a geology corner on 43-101 reports as they relate to uh, preliminary economic assessments and pre-feasibility studies, etc. Uh, this week, uh, Leslie's going to dig a little bit into earlier stage exploration. Um, and so these aren't actually a lot of the times 43-101 compliant. Well, they are compliant with the exchange. Uh, but more so in in terms of reporting uh, prospecting targets and uh, drill results. Uh, we'll dig a little bit into geophysics, geochemistry, uh, some seismic, uh, interestingly enough, which we've heard a little bit of buzz about recently. Uh, so this is more of a prospecting um, and early stage exploration verg- version of the geology corner, uh, wherein Leslie's going to uh, sort of outline for us what she looks for when companies report drill results, uh, report how they are generating targets and prospects on their property. Um, and sort of what she looks for in terms of geophysical and geochemical results. Now, <laughs> pre, pre-warning pre sort of thing. Um, this stuff is all um, extremely complicated. Uh, and Leslie's going to help us as best she can. But obviously, we're always all learning uh, a lot about geophysics and geochemistry. Uh, so this is sort of a, a let's say, a 101 uh, episode of the Geology Corner where we dig into a little bit about what companies mean when they say certain things uh, in press releases. Uh pursuant to uh, target generation, drilling, etc. So I'm excited about that. The other thing I have, um, and this is going to be running in our full-on PDAC issue next week, uh, is I had a fairly uh, lengthy chat with Lucas Lundin, um, and uh, the full uh, transcript of which, well, not the full transcript, but the best parts, <laughs> uh, will be running in the paper next week, uh, so do check that out. Uh, what I have is a little bit of a sneak peek this week, uh, just some com- uh, comments from Lucas Lundin on markets, uh, namely on zinc, uh, copper, and the uh, acquisition of the Fruta del Norte gold project in Ecuador um, and sort of how that's going. So later in the show, we'll have about uh, two and a half minutes uh, of just Lucas talking about uh, some of his experiences over the recent bear market and uh, where he thinks we are right now and how things are sort of going with uh, the various London mining enterprises. Um, But before we get into all of that, we will run through a little bit of our macro to start the show. Gold lost a little bit of momentum to start the week, though it did rally a little bit on Tuesday uh, and was trading at $1,248.50 per ounce at the time of recording. Silver was trading at $18.35 per ounce. Copper was trading at $2.71 per pound, while West Texas Intermediate Oil was trading at $53.98 per barrel. 
Financial media is paying close attention to U.S. President Trump's speech to Congress on Tuesday night. That would be February 28th. He is expected to at least provide some clues on his tax-cutting plans and budget plans. Uh, In addition, Federal Chair Janet Yellen is expected to provide testimony, perhaps dropping clues regarding her own thoughts on a rake height in March. Meanwhile, there remains no sign of resolution at BHP's East Escondida copper mine in Chile. On February 9th, 2,500 workers began a strike after contract talks with the company failed. Copper prices have been going up since on expected tighter supply conditions. Uh, The mine produced about 5% of the world's copper in 2016. Uh, Last week, we reported that the two sides briefly returned to the table for government-mediated talks, though those discussions ended after a single meeting. Uh, There has been uh, somewhat frosty relations with uh, the union telling Reuters on Monday it had not been approached about resuming talks and denied a report quoting the BHP chief executive officer saying the two sides were back at the table. Uh, So there does not appear to be any near-term resolution to this issue. Uh, And we did talk uh, at length over the past few shows about potential copper supply uh, uh, concerns uh, globally. Uh, Lucas Lundin, during his little talk, we'll uh, we'll get to uh, momentarily, or actually after the geology corner, I should say, uh, also mentions uh, a sort of a bullish thesis on copper investment. So some things we are keeping our eye on as we move forward here. And now let's uh, let's have a little fun here with the geology corner. Uh, as mentioned, we will be uh, digging into some technical terminology in terms of geophysics and geochemistry. Uh, Leslie's going to uh, to sort of lay it out for us in terms of um, if you're not a geologist, I am also not a geologist. Uh, just a few terms uh, and tips or tricks as far as um, reading and interpreting uh, things like uh, maybe target generation. If companies put out that they have a big geophysical anomaly that looks really promising, or coincidental geophysical and geo chemical anomalies someone might be like hmm like is that important uh so leslie is going to uh lay that all out for us we'll talk a little bit about uh, a case study uh that she picked uh in terms of the best practices for generating exploration stage targets uh we'll also talk about some new technologies including seismic uh which has been used in the oil and gas industry but has been gaining a little bit of buzz um in the uh terms of hard rock metal exploration um and and a bunch of other things so uh let's get to it right now it's about a 20 minute geology corner so a nice uh nice meaty one for everybody um and i will see you on the flip side just to introduce the lucas lundin uh snippet that we have uh leading into my uh major interview piece with him that will be coming out in our pdac issue next week. Hello, you are listening to this week's Geology Corner. I'm Leslie Stokes, and I've got my best buddy here. Matt Keeble, I'm always sitting around somewhere in the <laughs> general vicinity of the podcast, like just kind of loitering, yeah. watching, making sure everything's not broken and my recorder's everything's not on recorded, fire. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So we're well, back. What are, you, uh, what are we going to dig into this week? Uh, well, you know, I decided that for this week's Geology Corner... I wanted to let you all in on a little secret of mine, um, that even though I'm a geologist, right, yeah. I find it extremely challenging to interpret a company's geological results presented in news release. Like drill results? Just, just res- generally. being generally, okay. just being able to see at face value whether or not a company's project actually does have merit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, I really have to like dive into their technical reports 
or I'm searching through government databases to find the information I need to pull together these like jagged pieces that are all over the place. And um, for many investors, I always think it's like, gosh, they don't even have that option to do that. No, no, they don't have the context to, to or the background to do anything. No, like they that, don't have right? the time or the yeah. skills. So yeah. here I am a geologist. I kind of struggle with it. So I can't imagine what it's like for investors too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of times investors um, are often forced to take a company's exploration pitch at face value and they dump money into a stock on a total gamble, mm -hmm. praying, you know, that it would reap some sort of returns. But yeah, there's totally ways to lower your risk when investing in junior explorers. Now, this some is, of those- so, so we were talking about, sort of we, last week we talked about 4301 with technical words like yeah. PEAs and stuff, but now we're taking a step back. We're taking a step back. And looking at earlier stage yeah. projects. Greenfields, yeah. projects. Now, okay. I touched on some of this stuff in an earlier episode. What was it, podcast 46? Mm. Yeah, we're getting up to, we're almost at our 52nd episode, yeah. by the way, which is our year anniversary. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was it was uh, p before Roundup. Yeah, so it was yeah. before Roundup and I talked about ways of being able to see if a company is technically switched on to the project, they have mm -hmm. a good grasp on it. But there was something else I haven't mentioned, you know, and something else investors can spot in their mission to divide the strong projects from the weaker ones. Yep. And that, my friends, is flow. Flow. Yeah. Okay. Sweet, beautiful flow. You know, we've all had times in our life when everything just falls in place. It's as if the stars align and whatever it is we're doing in life calls us into being and everything makes sense. Now, what I'm trying to imply here is that exploration um, isn't a total slog to the end goal. It often is. But over my two years with the Northern Miner, digging through the news trench, right? And mm -hmm. then 10 years investigating deposits as a geologist in the literal trench, a pattern has emerged. And so that is when a company has great quality data at its fingertips, a project with tons of potential will speak for itself. So the company isn't grasping at straws, just trying to come up with a convincing exploration story, desperately trying to keep this project alive. Or using buzzwords. Or <laughs> using buzzwords. Yeah. So yeah. instead, the data will make drill targeting almost effortless and fluid, like a smooth flowing river with, of course, a few rapids and a bunch of bends. Yes. Just yeah. to keep you on your toes. Yeah, because right? exploration is never easy. No. Yeah. So, which sounds like a lot more desirable than a project being stuck in an eddy or a stagnant <laughs> pool that's drying up in a drought, you know? <laughs> it's probably good fishing. That's, there yeah, eddy, maybe, yeah. maybe. <laughs> so, what exactly do I mean by flow? And when I say flow, I mean consistency between the geological data sets. Okay. Okay? Okay. So, when geologists are generating targets, this is what we do. We work usually with five main data sets. We have geophysics, we have geochemistry, surface rock chip or channel samples, and geological maps that outline lithology, structure, and alteration. That's pretty much the, the guts of it, right? And depending on what type of deposit we're looking for, um, they look for anomalies in the data and whether those anomalies overlap or flow between you know, the different sets. The more the anomalies overlap with each other, the more robust the target becomes. 
So the strongest targets are then flagged for drilling, and then the, the companies will pitch that story to the mar- market. And that's, that's seriously like what happens. So that's what the investor relations team gets these targets based on the layering of different sort of modeling techniques by the geologists, and then they go out and... Totally. Toot the horn. Good job, Matt. Yeah. In yeah. one sentence, go. <laughs> so, um, and an investor doesn't need to understand all the science behind the anomalies. They just need to know if there are any and whether they overlap to conclude whether or not a company is working with a robust target. Mm-hmm. And then from that, they can gauge the risk of the project. So a Greenfields projects, they're all risky, but ones with lower risk have targets that have multiple data sets behind them. Um, on the other hand, if a company, say for example, hits grade in a drill hole, um, but doesn't have any data sets to back that target up, then they're chasing grade completely blind. Wildcat. Which is mostly like wildcat drilling, yeah. but yeah. kind of in a different, not using the word wildcat. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's open in all directions. It's like, yeah. oh, is it? I hear that a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's open in all directions, but we haven't drilled anywhere else. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and that's, and that's kind of it. So I really am leaning towards, of course, the star example of generating lower risk and a high risk ex- exploration play is Sol Gold's um, Cascabel Porphyry Copper Gold Project in northern Ecuador. I've heard a lot about this. Yeah, yeah. which I just finished writing up a story because I'm totally enamored with them. Mm-hmm. Um, over the past four years, you know, they've collected a ton of data on their 50 square kilometer property and they've done, you know, geophysics, soils, geological mapping, structure mapping, you name it. The usual artillery that explorers use to hone in on these deposits. But when you go into their company website presentation, it's cool because they'll actually walk you through each data set and showing where each of these anomalies occur and where they overlap. And from that, they've been able to identify 14 potential porphyry centers on their property, one of which being Alpala Central, um, which has already delivered some like jaw-dropping intersections of over a kilometer of like... 1% 1% copper equivalent. Yeah, they've had some impressive assays. At Crazy. That, uh, that so, project. yeah, 19 holes in the project to yeah. date. 17 have hit um, like whopping scales of mineralization. And when I spoke with Jason Ward, the exploration manager um, with Soul Gold at this year's AME Roundup in Vancouver, mm-hmm. uh, he joked with me and he said that drilling for them is more like, quote unquote, a grade control exercise <laughs> because that's how much confidence they have in their targets. For them, targeting is easy. Yeah. Whereas for me, it makes my job as a writer who has to report on this project so effortless <laughs> because I don't have to dig deep for the information I need. And for the investor, it leaves no question in the project's potential because the company's like, here are the anomalies, these are the overlapping, this is why this target is a target, it's legitimate, it's not like we're just comparing it to some other big deposit and make you you know just think that that's what it's all it's based on so i don't know so for me it's like in summary i guess the only hard thing about geology really are the rocks themselves and even they can be broken into so a company that's worth investing in has generated really robust targets and quality data sets stuff that they actually took time and effort into collecting and they just don't follow mineralized zones blind and they'll tell that story and they'll show investors what it is that they're actually targeting and what they're all about. And that's the confidence that any anybody should really look for and jump onto that flow because it'll just be smooth sailing, hopefully, until they hit that rapid bend or they hit, you know, 
Now, I, I have a question for maybe the listener. My um, voice is so dry today. I'm like all <laughs> raspy. Have more tea. Like, have more tea. And I just um, got like a steak voice. <laughs> um, so you mentioned before that there was sort of the five main data sets that geologists look at when construct or coming up with targets. Um, and so you just people see a lot of different terms, probably in press releases, in terms of geophysics, in terms of geochemistry. Um, maybe if just like a quick briefer on on um, what why you use those things and what exactly they are. Oh, yeah. Like if if you could just like if so, I know there's soil geochemistry, obviously, and that's tracer mineralization in tails or soils, right? Yeah. So it's super complex. Like mm-hmm. soil geochemistry is like a whole other science. Mm-hmm. So what what these people are looking for is just like indicator minerals that signal like an increased concentration in certain elements that usually are associated with a porphyry system or a gold mineralizing system mm-hmm. or whatever. Or they could also use, like that. those are pathfinders, right? Yeah. Or they can just use the direct elements themselves, which is copper, gold, zinc, whatever. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, like in soul gold, for example, copper doesn't sit well in that tropical environment. It moves, it it's moves. like yeah. flushes out. Yeah. And so they couldn't really use that, whereas molybdenum, doesn't move very well, but okay. it signals that there's like porphyry in the in the area. So they use uh, they they use a lot of Molly anomalies to say to zone in in the geochemistry surveys of where it is that they can look in the data sets. Okay. So that's geochemistry. So it's a bit of like there's like huge science and on it. There's a lot of gold explorers you hear talking about arsenic or arsenic, yeah, antimony. Yeah. 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 And so. that, especially in Nevada, I mean, you hear that all the time, right? And that's just a function of, like you said, sort of flow of these minerals in, yeah. in the surface uh, materials. Well, in, in the hydro, like in the hydrothermal fluids that mm-hmm. introduce these metals, yeah. they, they occur within like, you know, a certain temperature and pressure and acidity and pH and oxygen levels and, and certain elements like to kind of kick around in those sorts of fluids. And mm-hmm. they all tend to have similar sort of... Um, like characteristics and so gold will kick around with arsenic and and you know the likes so it's it's yeah it's being able to understand what the pathfinder elements are and the elements that you can use to like zero in on those deposits in in geochemical data sets so that's and and leveling yeah and leveling that data is crazy too Mm -hmm. because you can have a baseline concentration Mm -hmm. in your soils of copper elevated copper because you're in a volcanic package yeah yeah, yeah. so there's you got to level that that crap out can i say crap but you got to level it out so there's a little bit of a um robust science behind it but fundamentally that's kind of so this is one of the earlier things you do on a grassroots project that's why you see people do soil grids so sort useful. Of, yeah just yeah. to get started sort of thing yeah and you got to be able to collect that data good too yeah. you just don't want to be digging a hole well some companies spend entire field seasons doing yeah soil grids right and i mean dirt bagging we call it yeah dirt bagging yeah i've actually <laughs> done that too up around wasi lake yeah that's actually. right yeah, yeah, yeah. mckenzie yeah. um but uh the other thing you'll see and i guess maybe we should reference this too is sometimes you see um geochemistry just doesn't work Right, because the soil's barren, or, or there's or, no soil. Yeah, or or, this, or it's glaciated, glaciated, right? Glaciated. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'll see that too, where companies say geochemistry is pretty much non-useful, um, and that's one thing I talked to Adventus Zinc, and they have the deposits in Ireland. They're looking at zinc deposits, and they said the one unique thing about prospecting and target generation in Ireland is that geochemistry is completely useless. Mm. Um, so they use seismic. Um, which is a technology that's used in oil and gas a lot. Um, and that's, I've worked on the seismic. The, yeah. the 2D seismic, everyone's saying that it, that it works great, but it's it's sketchy because, mm-hmm. you know, if you have 2D, um, you're, you're getting, like, readings down to, like, two kilometers yeah. or more, right? Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that because you don't have that third dimension, it's hard to triangulate 
where that reflection is at depth in space. So yeah. you, you could have your 2D seismic, okay? Because mm -hmm. people are talking about this a lot. Yeah, this is a new thing. That but this is brand new. So yeah. 2D seismic, you have to understand that like with 2D seismic, is um, you can't understand or you don't know exactly where the location and depth is of that reflector that you see in the sections. Yep. It could, you could say, oh, look, there, there's like an anomaly there, which could be a target, but it could actually be like 600 meters below or 300 meters up. Because it's two-dimensional. Because it's two-dimensional. Yeah. So doing yeah. three-dimensional seismic is a lot more expensive, mm -hmm. but it gives you more of an accurate sense of where it is you should target. No, no. Now, the other thing with seismic I'll quickly mention. Yeah is if everything's vertically oriented, well, good luck. Oh, exactly. But so. maybe just, uh, walk, since it's so new, maybe walk us through what it, what is seismic. Like, how, what are you doing when you're, like, are you measuring, oh. obviously, like, movement in the earth? Like, yeah. Yeah, just like, what are Basically, you doing? Basically, like, juicing? so on a seismic thing, it's kind of cool. It's like this R2-D2 sort of machine kind yeah. of crawls around the field. Yeah. And then and then they just, like, lift up and, and it just drops. Drops and you rock like, the bang. earth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so this R2-D2 thing is, like, moving through and just dropping and banging as it's it like goes. like some hydraulic thing that yeah. just, like, crashes. Yeah, down. well, I think, actually, I think the guy was driving ours that day. But, That's so, cool. Yeah, yeah, so they do that. And then they have sensors set up all along that line mm -hmm. to pick up. Um, how how like the different uh, velocities and stuff. Cool, and then the metals obviously give off different five uh, readings on on. Well, you would never positive. be unless you have like a sheet of metal. Mm -hmm. um, it's mostly to like it really kind of helps highlight structures okay. and different lithological units. And sometimes I know if you have quartz, for example, it'll just be like this washout in the seismic surveys. Oh, okay. Because it doesn't actually like kind of. I don't know. I guess the noise kind of goes right through it, or whatever. That makes sense. So, um, so there's there's lots of ways to interpret. Where were that. you using it? Down WA, mate. West Australia. There. Western West Australia. Australia. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. No, yeah. I'm glad we actually tackled that because I hear a lot about that now. Is is the seismic stuff? Because yeah. I guess when geo so expensive. Yeah, yeah, is it expensive? It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and I mean that kind of segues. I guess what we were going to briefly touch on geophysics a little bit too. Yeah. And I mean you hear about sort of ground. Uh, versus airborne, which is obviously way more expensive, and, but better. Obviously, airborne's better than, than ground mag, right? So, I mean, maybe just a little brief introduction on what, when geophysics might come into play and what it's useful for. Geophysics is always useful, yeah. but it's also extremely misleading. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, actually, I'm, I'm going to be pursuing a, a story on this. I'm talking to some geophysics experts on, on what is commonly misunderstood about geophysics and what are some of his applications? Mm -hmm. And where, where is it actually super useful? Okay. And um, another case in point was Soul Gold. Um, they do airborne magnetic surveys. And they've three-dimensionally modeled their anomalies at depth, um, which has revealed some really interesting correlations between mineralization and, and um the magnetism of the rock because it's magnetite associated with yep. the quartz vein. So they ended up having um, like these massive anomalies underneath. And the cool thing that Soul Gold does, which a lot of companies don't do, is that they um, this company has taken magnetic sus su oh my god mag sus readings from the drill core. Okay. And so what happens then is that they are collecting the exact magnetic response of the rocks in the drill core mm -hmm. and then they take that information oh. and they feed it into okay. the airborne magnetic survey data okay right and yeah. then from that they're able to create this super accurate 
magnetic model mm-hmm. based on actual data rather than you know your general idea of um, the magnetism of a granite, which is you pull it out of a textbook and then you apply it to your model, and that's what a lot of people use in their in interpreting their surveys. It's never take always- never take a geophysical anomaly. Like first spacing is huge. Mm-hmm. If you have like 200 meter wide spacing, like look what happened to Can Alaska with their Kimberlite targets. Yeah, they're like 250 meter wide Kimberlite anomalies potentially, and then all of a sudden they did 50 meter wide geophysical um, airborne magnetics, and then all of a sudden their um, anomalies dropped to 50 meters wide yeah. in a bunch of different clusters. Mm-hmm. So it looks completely that different. that look 200 meters large, but it's yeah. just a cluster. Mm-hmm. So that kind of and that's all to do with spacing. Yeah, and that has to do with spacing. So with any investor, yeah, if they're looking at geophysics data, don't just jump on that big, pretty red bullseye. Um, Kind of got to have an understanding of where it comes from. It can be manipulated to give you the answer that you want. Mm -hmm. Um, But realistically, if a company is using constrained geophysics models, like stuff where you're using MagSAS data or you're using geological um, aspects of your project and feeding that information into this, like visual representation of all these numbers which is geophysics which yeah. is crazy yeah um, it's like mind-blowing when i really think about it <laughs> but yeah and so they can use that to say okay well this has a more confidence than just say a general one vertical derivative mag mag geophysical survey that has a big red dot yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> so, which is like in the big powerpoint presentation the big red dot right yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> they're like look at this and it's like 500 meter spacing i'm like nah bro nah <laughs> Doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that sort of wraps it up. I'm glad we tackled this because um, I think it's something that a lot of people probably want to ask, but being in the people industry, we're in, yeah, yeah, like, like it's kind of given that everyone just assumes if you're participating in this business as an investor or a listener or a reader that you just know what geophysics is or you know what geochemistry yeah. is. When I'm you know, constantly learning about yeah, geophysics, I don't exactly. have a clue yeah, about geophysics. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, because that, that's like a whole other world. And yeah, so it's just asking questions and being able to... Yeah. But I mean, that's the hardest part, knowing what questions to ask. Exactly. And then that's why we're here. And that's why we're here, I yeah. guess. And you should get a subscription to the Northern <laughs> Yeah, and listen to our podcast all the time. And listen to our podcast. Because I talk rocks. I love talking rocks. Put me in a corner with rocks any day. That's why we call it a geology corner. For me, it ain't punishment. For me, it's pleasure. Excellent. And with that, we will let you go. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us. This has been... Oh, the Geology Corner with Leslie Stokes. to studio uh that's a really good conversation for me as well because i love to pick leslie's brain about like actually running drill programs and setting up exploration targets and like actually being on the ground beside the drill rig because uh i, I have done some field work in the past more so very early stage prospecting uh in terms of when we talk about grab samples and chips and uh and channels but uh leslie's actually run drill programs uh for for both large and smaller scale companies um and she's done it globally so it's always fun to uh talk to her about what sort of goes in uh to designing an exploration program to prospecting uh, right up to how you put out the news release and communicate to uh, investors and the public what you're actually doing. So it's always good to have uh, sort of a Q&A with her uh, where I'm like, well, what about this? And what about this? So we'll continue to do those. Um, and we'll always try to try to work in, uh, like we did with Solgold, uh, a case study where we can talk a little bit about um, um, some of the technical terms in relation to an actual press release uh, that you can always dig up and uh, read through in a court, uh, along with the podcast um, if you sort
sort of want to look at uh, what we're talking about directly. Um, but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's jump right in. Um, what I have now is a uh, brief about a two and a half minute uh, clip from Lucas Lundin. I had a uh, much longer conversation with him about 45 minutes uh, for our PDAC issue. Uh, the bulk of that uh, interview will be running in paper next week. So don't miss that. It's actually some great stuff. Uh, he digs into uh, Lundin Gold, Lundin Mining, uh, Denison Mine. So he, he we tackle base metals, precious uranium. Uh, it's a fairly broad ranging interview, um, but it's really good. And obviously, as someone who's been in the business for a very long time, uh, Lucas has a lot of interesting stuff to say about the bear market um, and also about where we might be now uh, in terms of uh, whether this is a new rally or whether this is a new cycle, uh, quote unquote. Uh, but uh, yeah, I wanted just to do a little bit of an actual tease with him. Um, this is just sort of uh, a, cl- a clip that I pulled um, where he's talking about, A, the state of markets over the last five or six years, um, making some of those uh, acquisitions that he did, including Candelaria, including Eagle, uh, Fruta del Norte, which is uh, the Kinross London Gold uh, deal, which uh, has uh, been going quite well for them, actually, in terms of sociopolitics and permitting. Um, so, yeah, there's uh, a quite a good uh, amount of uh, content in such a small clip. Uh, he also references things like zinc. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I wanted to run this. Uh, this is sort of a, a teaser primer uh, for the major main event, which is going to be the big article next week in the paper. So do check that out. Um, but I'll run that, and I'll be back on the flip side. It's been a pretty tough cycle. I think you know we. I think we did a pretty good job taking advantage of it. We acquired uh, uh, Candelier, and then we acquired uh, Eagle in Michigan, and then we acquired the gold deposit in Ecuador for the Norte. So I think we were trying to make the best out of a bad situation, you know, and, and those things only come up in tough, tough environments, you know, and uh, like, like Freeport was over leveraged, I had to sell. So all those assets, the assets they knew you want to sell, was just a major, had to sell them, you know, to rationalize, you know, those opportunities, those opportunities don't come up very often. So. Uh, but, you know, I come on, I think we're in the beginning of a cycle because, you know, we're nothing, I mean, copper is a 250, it's not like we, we were far away from the highs we had uh, five, six years ago. That's so some more room here to move. And uh, I think, uh, you know, on copper, you know, it's been underinvested for a long time. So, you know, I don't know if it's going to happen this year or next year, but it's underinvestment and still demand quite high. You know, I think we're going to see a spark again in, in the prices. A very good deposit. And, you know, it's very fine to, very hard to find good mineral deposit, as matter if it's gold or whatever metal it is. And also we... Uh, thought maybe, you know, it's been a kind of, the, the situation was a bit sticky there, but I think it was, you can blame the government, you probably can blame the company too. So we saw an opportunity. So we went down and visited with the government to see if they were interested in mining investment before, you know, we, we went too far with Kinross and they seemed very keen and an open door for us to get involved. And, you know, and, and uh, so they gave us the, because I want to make sure they want to see us because some of those countries don't want to see an investment, but they seem to be very pro-business that way and they want to start a new new part of the economy. They don't, they don't have any mining right now. So so we got a very positive sign and so far it's worked very well. So zinc, is there, I think zinc actually has a fundamental, uh, it looks fundamentally like we're going to get a shortage. It looks quite good. It's one of those, zinc is one of those metals you have one year of glory and 10 years of misery. The glory might be here. And this different is because there's been some supply shutdown, and uh, and and uh, we have actually fundamentally, you know, like centuries, five hundred thousand tons gone off the market. So you see some some good stuff. 
And welcome back. And everyone's probably like, Matt, why do you tease us with such short clips? And I'm like, yes, because the big uh, enchilada, the full enchilada, as we say, uh, is coming next week in the paper. So do pick up that PDAC uh, issue because that uh, interview with Lucas Landine is just one of the many really uh, good sort of exclusive pieces of content we have for that. Uh, swing by our booth at PDAC. Say hi to our team. They'll all be on the floor in Toronto. Um, and as usual, please do like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter uh, and check out our YouTube accounts because uh, we do have some really cool stuff coming out on social media these days uh, in terms of sort of exclusive interviews with CEOs and analysts and things like that. So do check in. Um, as per usual, please do surf by the website. Think about subscribing. Hit that subscribe button. Check out our different packages. It is totally worthwhile. Um, and uh, you get some of that more in-depth uh, content, uh, the full interview with Lucas and things like that. Uh, so yeah, this has been the Northern Miner Podcast. I would like to, again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. We do appreciate your listenership. Um, and I will be back next week with a full PDAC edition that you can listen to on the floor. Uh, so yeah, this has been Matt Keeble with the Northern Miner, and I will talk to you next week.